You guys can take a seat. What up, Salt Company? Let's get, what was, what? no cheering? What just happened there? Thank you. Let's give a round of applause to the band. That was incredible. Thank you. All right, guys, have you guys ever seen signs on businesses, you know, during COVID season that say, we're all in this together? <laughs> we're all in this together, guys. I call bull crap on that. Anybody else in this room call a little bit of bull crap on that? We're all in this together. I don't really know how together we are. It seems like pretty much all of us are on essentially their own side. Is that generally true? All in this together. That seems like a feel-good, cheesy slogan for a business to throw up there to get your money. Can I get an amen? amen? The past few years, we have conducted student leader interviews, and I want you to guess the percentage of the people who applied for leadership checked off that they have struggled with anxiety. 50%? 60 80. Here, here, here's the real stat. Of leaders who have applied for leadership, 90% have checked off and been honest that they've struggled with anxiety at some point just that past year. That means almost everyone in this room has this struggle. It's not a weakness of a few faithless people. It's the common state of college students today. It needs to be talked about. This might be one of the few topics that we are actually all in this together. Our sermon series is titled, What Do Christians Believe? What do Christians believe? So, so what do Christians believe when it comes to our anxiety? God better have answers, and he better have answers fast, because this is deteriorating our brains, our motivation, and our view of God. Can we all agree? And to answer this question... I want to take you on a journey through your own anxiety. I want to take you on a journey through your own anxiety, and I'll be taking you through the three stages of anxiety. The three stages of anxiety. But I want you to be asking yourself one question as we read. Where am I on this journey? Where am I on this journey? Open up your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18, because here at Salt Company we... This is in the Old Testament. If you're looking up here, it's about a quarter of the way through the Bible. It's before Psalms and Proverbs. It's after First and Second Samuel. Just use your table of contents. Okay, 1 Kings 18. I want to set the context. Israel, the nation of Israel, is split between Israel and Judah now. And there's tons of kings who just essentially keep screwing up. They are the worst, and it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse, and they keep driving the entire nation away from God. Continues to do that. And in 1 Kings 16, we, we meet like a couple characters. The first one, his name is Ahab, King Ahab. He's the worst, okay? Everyone on the count of three say Ahab is the worst. One, two, three. Ahab is the worst. Yes, actually, there's some, <laughs> you, you just said it right there, Jezebel is also the worst. And Ahab is just such a stellar guy that he decides to marry the wicked witch of the West, and her name is Jezebel. Okay, she's terrible. These two as a dynamic duo for the kingdom of hell, they just, they're crushing it. Okay, so you'll meet Jezebel soon. And another character, his name is Elijah. Elijah. This man is a prophet sent from God to deliver a message to Israel. And his message is this. 
Stop bowing to other gods and worship the true God. And we're about to see Elijah's journey through anxiety. But don't you guys know it? How the funny thing about anxiety is that it's normally triggered when we're coming down from this mountaintop experience, right? Man, you and God are like clicking and firing on all cylinders. You and your boyfriend or girlfriend are just, man, you're just connecting, right? Love is in the air, flowers blossoming, your friends all love you, you're getting good grades, mountaintop experience. And then we all of a sudden, when we think we got it handled, anxiety hits us on the side of the head like a truck. True or not true? Guys, let's look at um, uh, 1 Kings chapter 18. I'm going to read some verses, but I kind of want to show you Elijah's mountaintop experience. He has this epic moment. So Israel is turning from God and worshiping this other random God named Baal. Baal, who would worship a God named Baal? I have no idea. So essentially Israel has 450 prophets that are worshiping Baal. And so Elijah's like, okay, let's have a, uh, let's have a fire contest. Let's see which God is accurately, actually real. How about this? How about you guys slaughter a bull, okay, build an altar, and just start crying and asking Baal to rain down fire from heaven because he's so real, right? Go ahead and do that. And so literally, these prophets build up this altar and start crying out, Baal, blah, 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 come down and rain down fire. It ain't working. For like six hours, it doesn't work. So then they start to cut themselves, and the text literally says they were just literally just gorging out blood from their bodies to sacrifice to Baal. And the whole time, Elijah's like, oh, keep trying. Maybe he's just taking a nap. Maybe he's just going to the bathroom. He literally says that. Like, keep trying. Maybe he's just a little tired. Just keep trying. Keep yelling at him. And what do you know? Fire doesn't come. Okay? Then it's Elijah's turn. 1 Kings 18, mountaintop experience. Verse 35 so Elijah builds up his altar and dumps a ton of water on his altar just to be like, hey, 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 I'm going to make this harder for myself. Four gallons of water, just pour it all over my altar. Okay, let's see if my God can handle this little thing here. Verse 35. So the water ran all around the altar. He even filled the trench with water. At the time for, as the, at the time for offering the evening sacrifice, the prophet Elijah approached the altar and said, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Today, let it be known that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant, and that at your word I have done all these things. Answer me, Lord. Answer me, so that this people will know that you, the Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the Lord's fire fell and consumed the burnt offering literally from the sky. Just imagine that. Lord's fire falls, consumes the burnt offering, the wood and the stones and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. Wow. When all the people saw it, they fell face down and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Then Elijah ordered them, seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let even one of them escape. So they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the Wadi Kishon and slaughtered them there. Epic. Can we all agree? Holy cow. God just put on a laser light show of fire and everybody falls face down and says, the Lord, he is God. Mountaintop experience. Imagine that. Imagine being the one like Elijah who goes through this mind-blowing holy moment where he looked pretty good and he made God look even greater, right? What a mountaintop moment. Well, he's about to come tumbling down. 
If you're taking notes, point number one, point number one, the journey to anxiety. The journey to anxiety. Look at chapter 19, verse 1. Ahab, old King Ahab, he's the worst, married to Jezebel. Ahab told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done. Oh, what do you know? He's not strong enough and man enough to handle his own problems, goes and tattles to his wife. And how he had killed all the prophets with a sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, may the gods punish me and do so severely if I don't make your life like the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. She just said he's going to, or she just said that she's going to personally see to it that Elijah will be killed. Because she's embarrassed. She's got embarrassed in front of the entire nation of Israel. Her reputation is low. Her God Baal that she was worshiping, his reputation is low. And now she freaks out. She wants blood. How does Elijah react? With bold confidence in the face of evil. Nope. Look at verse 3. Then Elijah became afraid. And immediately ran for his life. He ran immediately. He knew her threat was real, even though he was honoring God. I want to take a pause for a moment. Some of you have anxiety because of the hand that you've been dealt. Some of you have been given people in your life that have made your life miserable. Some of you have anxiety because as you try to follow God, you get hit with the reality that you live in a sin-cursed world full of sin-cursed people that want nothing more than to make your life miserable. Or you've just been given a hard life. Look at verse 3. Then Elijah became afraid and immediately ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba that belonged to Judah, he left his servant there. That's a note. He left his servant there. He didn't want someone to see him in his worst moment. Do some of you guys do this? In your worst moments, do you disconnect? Do you run from the people who know you the most? The other day, I, had, I saw a random person in the gym that I'd known for a couple of years, and I knew that this person had been struggling with anxiety and depression for years. And it was, it, depression and anxiety had been just like destroying her the past year. So I went up to her and I was just like, I was like, hey, like, we love you. We want you back. Come to Salt Company. Come to Keystone. Like, we love you and we know you. And she goes, I just, I just don't think I want to come. I think I'm going to try another church. And I was like, oh, why? She's like, I just, I just think I need a fresh start. No, you just don't want to be around the people who know you the deepest and could help you the most. Elijah does exactly this. Look at verse 4. But he went on a day's journey into the wilderness he sat down under a broom tree and prayed that he might die. He said, I have had enough. Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Yikes. Elijah goes into the wilderness, and then he has all these terrible thoughts. What is the wilderness? I think that's the first thing you got to ask. The wilderness is a place that feels far away from people and even further away from God at times. You ever been in the wilderness? That's where sometimes your voice becomes the loudest in your head. You tell yourself what Elijah told himself. I've had enough. Take my life. I'm no better than my father. I can't handle this. I want to die. I'm no better than my dad. I'm no better than what everyone else has said about me. This is a cry to God in stress. When you're at your lowest, what's your cry to God? 
What is your cry to God? Maybe it's not necessarily as dramatic as death, right? Maybe it's I can't make it through this. This is too much. Maybe it's God, you don't get me. You don't understand what I'm going through. You don't act like you even hear me. In your moments of stress or anxiety, what is your cry to God? Or do you not even know what to say? Look at verse 5. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. For those of you who have struggled with depression, you know that that's a pretty accurate response when you're down and out. I'm just going to go ahead and take a nap. Verse 5. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. Suddenly an angel touched him. The angel told him, get up and eat. Then he looked, and, and there at his head was a loaf of bread baked over hot stones and a jug of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord returned for a second time and touched him. He said, he said get up and eat, or the journey will be too much for you. So he got up, ate, and drank. Then on the strength from that food, he walked 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. He entered a cave there and spent the night. That phrase, he slept under a broom tree. Why did he respond that way? He freaks out to God. He's in this horrible moment of anxiety, and he just gives up. I think he gives up because he thinks God is giving up on him. I think he's sleeping He's giving up because he thinks God is giving up on him. He can't see God and he can't hear God. Have you guys ever been there? You just feel like you can't see God. You feel like you can't even hear him. You're in this moment, in this season, this trial, this fire, and you're literally sitting back, you're just like, I can't even hear a word that he says. I want to invite Daniel, Daniel Lonsbro to the stage, everybody. <clears throat> Give him a round of applause. I kind of want, I want to show you how Elijah is reacting because it's not far from how many of you react when you're in a season of stress. Okay, so this is you and I am God. Classic, classic, <laughs> classic. You knew I'd do that. Okay, so when you are in a good relationship with God, when you feel like you're just hearing his word, you are seeing him work, this is how close you guys feel. You're talking, you're communicating, you feel great about each other. And the second you go through anxiety, the second you have something horrible happen in your life, this is what you do. You turn around, and then you close your ears. You literally don't even understand that God is right here, but all you're doing is you are purposefully turning around, giving up on God, because you're assuming that he is giving up on you. Because the second that you do that, you assume that this is what God does to you. Fine, I'm out. And then you ask God to do crazy things to you because you're losing perspective in the anxiety. Daniel, thank you. You're good. You're good. Thank you, Daniel. You're killing it. You are killing it. But here's the thing. When you are turning around and plugging your ears, not seeing God and not actually listening to God, you're forgetting that he's right there. He never leaves. And that phrase right there at the end that says, or the journey will be too much for you. Remember, the angel gives him food gives him water. And then the angel says, or if you don't eat this, the journey is going to be too much for you. Here's the thing. While you're doing nothing, God is doing something. God is constantly at work. God sees what you need because he sees what's ahead. That's God. And then in verse 8, God makes Elijah walk for 40 days and 40 nights. God doesn't just like microwave solve his problem right then and there. 
He sends Elijah on a long trip, and isn't it just like God to have Elijah, after he walks for 40 days and 40 nights, say, hey, go ahead and climb that mountain. Great. Wonderful. Elijah came to the mountain of God to have one of the most epic encounters with God that any human has ever had. Look at verse 9. It says this, he entered a cave there and spent the night. Suddenly, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? God meets him and asks him a question. Don't you hate that? What do you think I'm doing here, God? I'm freaking out. Why are you asking me this question? You know why I'm here. Our first point was the journey to anxiety. And Elijah shows us how this next moment is point number two, the breaking point of anxiety. The breaking point of anxiety. Look at how Elijah responds. Verse 10. Elijah replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of armies, but the, uh, but the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they're looking for me to take my life. You guys ever seen that? That's the snowball effect prayer to God. You guys feel me there? It's essentially your thought process goes, one bad thing happens in our culture which affects the people in power, which affects the decisions they make, which affects the people underneath them, which affects someone mad at the decision you make, which makes you anxious, which makes you freaked out, which is another thing, and another thing, and then everything gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. That's Elijah right there. He's like, this happened, then this happened, and this happened, and now I'm going to die. Thanks. He's freaking out. How many of you guys have had this freak out moment with God? <laughs> Where you're driving in your car, and you're like, this is the worst Look at my life. This is happening with my parents, God. This is happening with my grades. This is happening with my career. This is happening with my relationships. All around me, I literally feel like I'm about to burst. Look at verse 11. Then God said, go out and stand on the mountain in the Lord's presence. At that moment, the Lord passed by. A great and mighty wind was tearing at the mountains and was shattering cliffs before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a voice. A soft whisper. That phrase, the Lord was not in the, can you guys picture that moment? God says, get out here. And before Elijah even has a moment to stand up, all of a sudden a great and mighty wind comes in, is tearing and shattering the cliff right in front of him. But then it says the Lord was not in the wind. Then after that, an earthquake happens. Can you, can you literally imagine that? Things are literally falling, he's shaking, but then it says the Lord was not in the earthquake. And then after the earthquake, I have no idea what this looks like, but apparently a fire just comes blazing right through. Then it says, but the Lord was not in the fire. The wind, the earthquake, and the fire were announcing the arrival and the presence of God. And God's presence 
was not in chaos. It was in a voice, a soft whisper. The word whisper kind of throws me off. How could Elijah hear the whispers so clearly amidst all the chaos? I merely think of when I was in high school and I was a wrestler. Any other wrestlers in this room? No real men. All right, there's a real man right there. So I used to be a wrestler, and I was like kind of average, below average. And so I was, I was wrestling this one guy, and I was on bottom, and he was literally like just destroying me. I could not get out of the hold that he had me in, and my all of my coaches were around the mat yelling at me, Daniel, try this move, try this move, try this. And then my dad was also on the other side of the mat yelling me to try a different move. So I was like, I don't know what to do. And I just like was not getting out of it. And they just kept yelling. My coaches kept yelling. And all of a sudden, I, I remember it so vividly. My dad goes, Daniel, try this. And it was like it clicked. And I tried it, and I immediately got out. It was the weirdest thing. Above all the noise, I could hear my dad's whisper. Here's the thing. Sometimes only a father's voice can be heard when you need it the most. This whole epic moment would have left me in awe and wonder at the mighty presence of God. I think sometimes God sends an earthquake so we can lean into the whisper. Look at verse 13. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? God asks him the same question twice. Feels like Elijah probably should respond differently, right? No. Verse 14, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of armies, he replied, but the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left. And they're looking for me to take my life. Exact same response as earlier. Exact same. Word for word. Bold response. There's one thing that Elijah forgets, though. He's drawing on his current circumstances and not reflecting on his past circumstances. His past circumstances were dark, but God every single time delivered. Sometimes while processing with God, he not only shows you the way, he also gives you his word. Here's the thing. In chapter 17, when Elijah went to a widow's house, they were starving. This widow and this young boy were starving. They were literally about to prepare their last meal to die. And Elijah is freaking out. But God provides. God gives him food. God shows him provision. And then in chapter 18, he proves the greatness of God and God alone. But God literally just sending fire immediately. God shows his power. Two seconds earlier. And then in verse 8, in this own passage, he's given food by an angel. Within this exact same trial, he's been shown grace and care. My point is this. In the midst of your stress, how often do you look back and see what God has already done for you? Or is that lost on you? When I was 19, many of your guys' age, I was, I hit, you guys know when you hit that point where you're like, what am I going to do with my life? You guys, some of you guys are like, oh, crap, that's me right now. I was feeling that tension. I don't know what it is. I was like, I was like a man. I just feel like this pressure of like, well, if, if I need to lead, I need to know exactly what I'm doing with my life. And blah, 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 blah. so I was just like, I had this anxiety ridden months and months of like, God, what am I doing with my life? And I was freaking out. I would literally stay up at night thinking about it because I had no clarity, no clarity whatsoever. But then one night, God gave me my clear calling. 
And he told me, keep going and testing that out. Test that out. See if I'm right. How could I ever forget the fact that God showed me the way? And then about the time that I got married, one week into marriage, Kayla and I figured out, many of you guys were at kickoff and you realized that I had to tell my wife I had $20,000 in debt, was not a fun night. Day, day four or five into marriage, we both realized how horribly in debt we were. There was tension in our marriage. There were tears from both of us. We didn't know how that was going to happen, but somehow, like clockwork, God provided again. How could I ever forget that God wouldn't provide for me, right? How could I ever forget? And then I immediately actually, as I was writing this sermon, I was thinking through, in the summer, just this past summer, I was freaking out almost every day when COVID hit. Because I was like, I don't know if we're going to be able to have salt company next year. I remember being in the shower, like literally just staring at the wall, just like, am I going to like lose my job? Like, are students actually going to be reached this year? I have no idea how this is actually going to happen. It literally feels impossible. And since that moment, 29 students have placed their faith in Jesus and 19 have gotten baptized since that moment. How could we ever forget? How could we ever forget that God can work through any fire in our lives? How could we ever forget that? In the midst of your stress, how often do you look back and see what God has already done for you? But yet Elijah doesn't. He actually seems to be complaining to God. Look at verse 14. I've been very zealous for the Lord God of armies, he replied, but the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they're looking for me to take my life. Did he learn anything from that dramatic scene that just happened to him? Did he learn anything? Did he learn to have any respect for God? It seems like he's doing something wrong. I'd actually argue that he's doing something right. Elijah is casting his cares upon God. Elijah is casting his cares upon God. Do you realize that when you're going through something terrible, God already knows what you're thinking. God already knows how you feel. Elijah knows that God already knows how he feels. So he just says it, bold and honest and upfront. Here's the thing. You can't defeat what you don't define. I heard that from Pastor Craig Rochelle. You can't defeat what you don't define. Elijah defines it. He's saying, no one here wants to worship you. They want to throw you away like you're doing nothing, and I'm going to die for it. God, fix it or just take me. Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says this. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Does that say, uh, be silent and be like kind of vague with how you actually feel? No, no, no. That says present it. You talk to God. You be honest with God. You be bold with God. Because here's the thing. A clear path is only seen with clear communication. If it's on your mind, it's on God's heart. Prayer is not always a defense. Many times it's an offense. Here's the thing. I think this is generally what happens to us when we have stress. <clears throat> We've got our worries right here, don't we? 
We've got a ton of worries. And I saw a pastor do this. Got a ton of worries. And we've also got God here, don't we? Got a ton of worries and we've got God. So this is what we do. We see our worries and we're like, okay, going to take this worry. I'm going to go to God in prayer. It's going to be really, really hard for me to not like beg for control with it. But I'm going to take it. I'm going to give it to God. Then you wait. Then you wait a little bit more. Just a smidgen more of waiting. And then nothing happens. You're like, hey, are you God? Clearly you're not listening. Okay, da -da -da -da. I'll put it right back here. I'm going to try to fix it. I'm going to try to fix it. And you get worse and worse and worse. Is that true? That's exactly what happens to us over and over and over again. Why does that happen? Because you don't actually trust God with your worry. Why do we do this? I think because your God is way too small and your worries are way too big. I think you need to switch these around. You need to realize that God is bigger than your worries. He can tackle your anxiety and comfort you in every circumstance. So we need to take all of our worries, every single one of them, and cast them upon God. Literally taking them and literally putting them on God's shoulders, knowing that he can bear it. Knowing that he can comfort you. And here's the thing. Because in the process of your tearful, freak-out prayers, God gives you a path. Some of you need to literally grab a box, make it a shoebox. I don't give a crap. It doesn't have to be as sexy as mine, okay? <laughs> grab a shoebox and write God on it. And symbolically, write your prayers out. Make them like vulgar, like actually how you feel. And put them in your God box. And watch what God does. And here's the fun thing. If you do this over time, one of my favorite things to do is to scrounge to the bottom of the box and pull out one of my old prayers and just laugh at how God came through. And just laugh at how when I put that on the shoulders of God, somehow the God of the universe was able to take my small worries and easily easily answer them because we serve a big God, do we not? We serve a huge God who can handle these things. Elijah just had a mountaintop moment with God, the chapter before, and now he's literally on the mountain in the presence of God, hearing his voice, but doesn't know what to do. You need to know this. In the whisper, there's a way. In the whisper, there's a way. Our first point was the journey to anxiety. The second point was the breaking point of anxiety. And our third and final point is the future through anxiety. The future through anxiety. Now God responds. And it's not going to be pretty. Look at verse 15. Then the Lord said to Elijah, go and return by the way you came to the wilderness. Great. Go and return right back to the wilderness. Wonderful. God makes Elijah go back through the wilderness before anything else happens. Can you imagine what Elijah is thinking when God says this command? Oh yeah, go back to the place where I was literally begging you to kill me. Great. Go back through nothingness. Go back through pain. Here's the thing. God wants you to work through the valley, not run from it. God wants you to work through the valley, not run from it. God doesn't just save you. He sends you. 
God didn't save you to sit under a broom tree and stay sad. He saved you to be sent into the wilderness of this world to save people who are in the wilderness of their sin. Here's the thing. Working through the wilderness, through the valleys of your life is good. Why? Because deep valleys produce deep visions. Deep valleys produce deep visions, a vision for the future of your life through obedience to God. Look at the vision God gives Elijah if he obeys him. Number one, God gives him a vision for training. When he says, hey, hey, go right back through the wilderness, God is giving Elijah a vision for him training Elijah. Walking through the wilderness is God making his life a little bit harder and training him. But many of us hate God's training, don't we? It's the worst. We all know that. How many of you guys have ever exercised before? The word. No, just kidding. Just kidding. Some of us hate training. We hate it when things that are difficult are thrown in the midst of an earthquake. It just seems unfair. Something that might help your training is asking the question, what are my expectations when I'm in the wilderness? What are my expectations? I'm going to illustrate it this way. When you're walking, in order to turn around, you just kind of, it's that easy. Can I get an amen? It's that easy. You guys don't even know why you're amening that. Now, turning a bike. It's not like horribly difficult, but it kind of like takes, you know, a little bit longer to kind of turn it, and then, then you got it, right? What about a car? When you got to do a UE, you're like, crap, got to check and make sure there's no cops, obviously. And then you kind of merge a little bit, and then you eventually kind of get around. You might bump a few curbs if you're cute, but then you finally get back. <laughs> Or Josiah, he gets in a car wreck every two seconds. Now imagine, now imagine you're on a huge cargo ship, a huge cargo ship, just tons of shipment on there, tons of people on there. It's massive. You can't just turn a cargo ship. Literally, it would go poof, poof. to turn a cargo ship. You'd go go. And then you make it. What are your expectations in the wilderness in order to turn from anxiety and fear to joy and hope in the Lord? Are you expecting it to be a walk around, boom, one day thing? Are you expecting it to maybe be like a bike, maybe like a one week, just that week was just really, really hard, but man, God saw me through. Maybe it's something more dramatic. It's more like a car. It's like three to six weeks for you to just kind of get around and you bump your way through, but you finally get back. Or maybe it's like a cargo ship where it just seems like it is taking forever. And you feel like you're going the wrong way, and you're going the wrong way, and you're going the wrong way, and you're going the wrong way for months and months, some of you years. Then you finally see just a glimpse of hope. What are your expectations? Because some anxieties carry more weight than others, so God takes his time with you. But you're expecting him to fix it quickly. Sometimes you have to set your expectations right. Is your anxiety going to be a quick turnaround, or is it going to take time? God loves to mix a trial with training, doesn't he? God loves to mix a trial with training. Some of you are being pruned while you're being pushed. 
Have you ever wondered why when you tell your story, you use a lot of highs, but you have a lot more lows that you talk about? Why is that? God teaches you a lot in the valley. It's not just something you get through. It's something you learn from. There's always victory in the valley. It might not even seem like a tangible victory for you in the moment. Sometimes the victory comes in the character shaping that God does in the turning. God also gives Elijah a vision for discipleship. In the wilderness, God gives Elijah a vision for discipleship. Look at verse 16. He says, you are to anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, as king over Israel, and Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Mahalah. I think I said that right. I'm going to pretend I did. As prophet in your place. Appoint anoint Elisha as prophet in your place. Do you see what he just said right there? He just gave him a vision for discipleship. Elijah is now told to go pour himself out to the man who's going to take his place as prophet over that nation. That's a difficult task. Then just say, hey, here's the keys, go figure it out. No, no, that, that is discipleship. Elisha following Elijah. God just tells him to go do that. That doesn't seem like Elijah is really getting much in return. God is asking him to obey and pour out even though he's miserable. Have you ever considered that you could be, that God is making you the mailman for somebody else's gift? Have you ever considered that God is making you the mailman for somebody else's gift? Not everything is about you. Leaders always lay their life down so that those who are following can be blessed. Your leaders are sacrificing more than you could ever know so that you can know Jesus. Elijah is going through so much so that he can set up Elisha. In the valley, in the wilderness, God also gives Elijah a vision to see other warriors. Look at verse 18. God says, but I will leave 7,000 in Israel, every knee that has not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. He's saying, I'm going to kill the rest of them, but I'm going to leave 7,000 in Israel who haven't bowed to another God. Look at verse 14. Doesn't really sound like Elijah got the, got the hang of it. He says, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of armies, he replied, but the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they're looking for me to take my life. Here's the thing. When you're in the wilderness, you lose perspective. Christian, you need to know there are warriors around you fighting the exact same battle. Amen? There are warriors around you fighting the exact same battle. Remember the 90%. In your weakness, God provides warriors. And some of you aren't stressed or anxious. Some of you in this room, you're like, okay, this is, this is an interesting message for like my friends. Some of you aren't really stressed or anxious even right now. My question for you is, who can you be a warrior to right now? Who can you be a warrior to? Who in your life needs you to fight for them because they're lacking strength? Warriors bring energy to life. They comfort you when you feel the enemy bearing down on you, and they pick up the sword when you don't have any more strength. Who in this room needs you to be their warrior? You need to ask that question. Men, you don't ask those questions. 
ask somebody if you need them to be your, their strength right now. Notice how in the darkest moments of his life, God asks Elijah to do more. You see that? He says, go and return to the wilderness. Anoint Hazael as king. Anoint Jehu as king. And anoint Elisha as prophet in your place. Many times in our anxiety, we think God wants us to do less. When actually God wants us to do more. Why? Because obedience is the only way through the wilderness. God always wants us to pursue obedience despite the path ahead. Many of you are anxious or will be anxious here soon. I want you to do something first. I want you to identify, where are you right now? Are you on the journey? Are you at the breaking point? Are you on the path forward, but man, you're, you feel like you're still in the wilderness? Where are you at on this path of anxiety? Then I want you to do three actions. I want you to pray, obey, and trust. Pray, obey, and trust. Pray. Be honest. When you talk to God, pray just like Elijah. Be honest. Be brutal. God already knows. You might as well say it. Some of you, the second you leave, you need to have a good old yell session at God in the car. Just do it. Be honest. Freak out a little bit. God loves it. You notice how he never rebukes Elijah. You notice that? He never says, how dare you talk to me that way? I just showed you my presence. He says, all right. Thank you for being honest. Now here's what you go do. Number one, you pray. Number two, you need to obey. Don't stay under the broom tree. Walk through the valley. Disciple others. Gather around other warriors. Don't disconnect from God and his family. God has an eternal purpose for your temporary obedience. You don't even see it. Pray, obey, and trust. God will work out his will despite your lack of clarity. Trust that his ways are higher than your ways. I think the hardest action that I just told you to do is to obey. But I think it's the most necessary. Because I heard this the other day. At the end of my obedience is someone else's deliverance. At the end of my obedience is someone else delivering me. Why do I say that? Because remember the story of Jesus. We just celebrated Easter, but remember Good Friday? When Jesus was in the garden, right before he died, he had this anxious moment where he is crying out to God. And Jesus obeyed despite the painful path ahead. His journey took him through the wilderness of the garden. His breaking point was when his body was broken on the cross, but he trusted that God the Father would have the Holy Spirit raise him from the grave so he could cast out all fear and give us eternal hope. And now the whole world can be delivered through trusting in his name. Our God isn't a God who runs from stress. Our God isn't a God who runs from anxiety. Our God isn't a God who runs from pain. He's the God who took on the most pain for us on the cross. Amen? That's our God. So that he could show us the only way through pain is through obedience and trust in Jesus. Will you obey him tonight? For some of you, obedience looks like you for the first time obeying the call of the gospel and placing your faith in the one and only one who can save you from the fear and the stress and the sin of your life. And for some of you, 
Obeying means you're a Christian and you need to have a come to Jesus prayer session tonight. So you can get up and pour yourself out in discipleship so you can trust and remember that you're in God's strong arms already. Amen. God, I thank you so much for Salt Company. I thank you so much that you're not a God who doesn't care about our anxiety. I thank you so much that you're not a God who just sits back and says, okay, yeah, 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 you're going through that and I'll accomplish my purposes. You're a God who listens. You're a God who wants our input. You're a God who knows exactly what we're going through, so you desperately want us to just take a moment and be honest. God, 90% of students in here more than likely are struggling with anxiety either right now or have this past year, and I actually think that that number is up. God, I pray that tonight is an honest night. I pray that tonight as they're singing these songs, there's going to be a song that's called Tremble. I pray that they would tremble. I pray that their rush of emotions, their rush of fear would just overcome them and they would realize that Jesus is better. Jesus can get me through this because in the end, this is not my eternal home. My eternal home is going to be in your arms. God, I pray that Christians here tonight would be honest with God for maybe the first time in years and say, God, I've been absent because I felt like you were absent. I turned around and I gave up because I thought you gave up. God, I pray that they would have this come to Jesus moment where they would pray and then they would start to obey. They would start to pour out themselves, laying their life down for the one who actually laid their life down for them. God, I pray that salvation would happen tonight. God, that many people in this room for the first time would realize that, God, you aren't like all these other religions where all these other religions try to run away from pain. They try to trick you into thinking that, that the best life is a life free of pain, but that you're a God who ran right into pain and took on the wrath of God the Father, the worst pain imaginable, so that we could be your child. It was all for love. God, I pray that faith would happen tonight. Salvation would happen tonight. In your name I pray. Amen.